Welcome to Where Wine Takes You, a wine podcast all about the wine, the stories, the people, and the experiences that make it special in the most exciting wine region at it right now. This is Paso Robles Wine Country, and I am your host, Adam Montiel. Okay, so a lot going on. When this publishes, we'll be gathering at the California Mid-State Fair for the Big Central Coast Wine Awards. Paso Wine is going to be there putting it on. I'm broadcasting live there every day. Supposed to be like 106 today, my goodness. Just trying to see how many froses it takes to keep me cool up there. If you are making your way to the California Mid-State Fair, please come by and say hi in the afternoon. I'll be up there broadcasting live in the Mission Square area. The Cork Dorks doing our radio show. You can't miss it. In between Commercial Buildings 1 and two by the stage you'll see our tent it says cork dorks crush 92.5 would love to meet you all right today so excited once again we have some old friends and stoked to meet some new ones i want to get right into it i'm thinking since it was such a good conversation we might even need to do a two-parter with this one so we can share as much of it with you as absolutely possible i mean we talk about it all we wanted to talk to two downtown wineries that are loving it thriving downtown but also have a state property that they're farming too and that's exactly what we have uh, but both couples happen to be Indian so we're going to learn a lot of great pieces about that culture as well as where wine took all four of these beautiful people that not only brought two of them to each other but how wine took them all to Paso Robles. Also, other little things we talk about, like say when you wake up and North Korea has hacked your phone and work and it becomes literally an international news story. No joke, that happened to one of our guests today. All in all, it is a great conversation with such lovely people inside and out. Old friends, Nita and Kunal Mittal, they own LXV Wines. They, like my other show, The Cork Dorks, recently celebrated their 12-year anniversary. I went to a dinner they had to celebrate it with local chef phenom Rachel Ponce, and it was something, it was a dinner I will never forget. Great people. Paso is certainly lucky to have both of them, and to have people like this, and yes, wine like this, of course. You're going to learn they're really led to make what they love to drink. You'll also learn that what extents they will go to follow their heart. New friends we're meeting today, Anita and Verinder Sahi of Copia Wines. I know they make great wines. I've had them before and I'm so excited to meet them. They acquired the brand a little less than 10 years ago and have done so much in such little time with it. Verinder had some grapes in another wine region and took his talents to Paso, as they say. And man, are we lucky to have he and Anita here. Copia's tasting room is also downtown and literally just across the street from LXV, which is where we are today. They have this back room. One of those doors you think or I thought was a wall with a big, beautiful painting on it. It's actually a door that swings open. I see a table. I see a bunch of bottles, bunch of glasses, a bunch of smiling and excited faces. Let's go. Give me that sound. We'll get by. We pass on round till the job is out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Cheers. Cheers. Look Cheers. at this. How fun. 
All right. Cheers, Jen. I'm really excited to uh, to well, this. I love shows where I get to have old friends and the new friends. Yeah. And of course, I've known uh, Nita and Kunal uh, first time on the podcast. So it's great to have you guys here. Thank you, Nita Kunal, for having us here at LXV. Thank you so much for having us. And I will have to say, along with you can say anything because I love your voice. Oh, I said, like Nita, here's the phone book. Go ahead. <laughs> we can do better than the phone book. You know yeah, that. True. But um, v- Varinder and Kunal, along with being winemakers they're Punjabis first so when you say wine in the glass of course they have yeah. wine in the glass yeah. because you're Punjabi gonna learn, you're going to learn what long. that means it doesn't during last too long yeah. right <laughs> yeah well thank god we got a lot of bottles to learn about uh, we're meeting Anita and Verinder for the first time of Copia thanks guys for coming over here great thank- to be here well, you made the pilgrimage across the street right, yes. right? <laughs> well one thing then, there's a lot of similarities here in the room and it's great it's going to be really fun to meet you both and hear all of the differences and the things that make you guys unique. Um, but one of the things that are similar is you guys both have downtown tasting rooms. Um, uh, Verinder, when did you guys make your way downtown Paso? Uh, we started, um, you know, we took over a brand, Copia, that was in 2018, early 2018. So you acquired it? We acquired it. Got it, got it. Yeah, that, and we were in, um, the previous owner was pouring in uh, Paso Underground. So we right. Con- okay. Yeah. 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 Michael Duet. So we uh, we continued pouring there. He was much more hobbyist winemaker. He was around two hundred. You know, he was doing around hundred fifty cases. So we brought it up to two fifty, then four fifty, and then realized that oh, we need a you know we need our own uh, place. How do you stumble into a a, a brand? We <laughs> it wasn't the brand. We were buying his property. Got it. Uh, okay. So we bought his property and the house, and uh, the deal was done. At the end of the deal, uh, you know, he said, "Hey, by the way, I do make wine." So okay, well, uh, would you like to taste it? I said, "Sure." And the wines were good. You know, the wines were good, and uh, we, our plan was to plant uh, mm-hmm. vineyard as uh, at the new property, and uh, it took us a long time to uh, find property because we wanted to be in Willow Creek. We wanted to be... So know, does everyone else for in there. <laughs> <laughs> so it took us two years to find property uh, once we were uh, uh, interns at Booker. And uh, um, after the deal was done, we went to his uh, tasting room in Paso Underground, which he happened to own with uh, Stefan Asseo. And um, I liked his wine and he said, oh, okay, well, you know, we'll throw it, you know, Throw this in the deal, you know. Wow. That, that, that works for you. He said, as long as I get half of the wines that you... He wants uh, half the inventory. Yeah, half of the inventory that we w- was in the barrel and we were, we were going to okay. make it and, um, for next two years, in fact. And we said, sure, why not? Yeah. You made the wine, 15 he right. made. 16, That's cool. Yeah, 15 he made, 16 he made. Then we took over from 17. And uh, 17 was for us uh, in Pacific Wine Services. And 18, we got our foot in uh, Danner. And uh, so we've been making wine and dinner since then and grew from 150 to around 2,000 cases now. So you're working with Anthony? Yeah, we work with him, yes. Yeah. He, uh, you know. He's so kind. He uh, basically created a winery within a winery just for us. I think we're the last people there that are allowed to make our, we're allowed to make our own wine there. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's really one of a kind, isn't he? He is. And he's really one of those people that just make this whole area so special because we've had him on a couple different times. And his story and his kind of like, you know, if you want to call it resume or what he's done and the people he's worked for, it's pretty remarkable. Absolutely. He's from Midwest. He's a, you know, such a wonderful person and a great winemaker. 
and uh, he's been doing winemaking for so many different brands. And what we enjoy working at Denner is just you know to watch him do all this. Did you know that you were going to be making wine? Or did you want to do this? I mean, I mean, I wanted to do it for a long time. You did? Yeah. So you wanted to, at some point, be a winemaker for a while? Yeah, no, I wanted to learn more about wine and yeah. wanted to make wine for our own family. So we had a small vineyard in Lodi, and uh, uh, the idea was just make a barrel or two barrels for the family. And then I met this lady, uh, and we came to Paso. And became the oldest uh, interns in Pasarobles. Yes. <laughs> that is, in fact, the truth. So how did you find Paso, Anita? Um, it, you know, w- the, all of the story sounds like it was many, many years or many, many moons ago, but it only started for us uh, at the end of 2015. That was the first time that Verinder and I both stepped foot in Paso. Um, and, and actually one of the wineries uh, and tasting rooms that we visited on that inaugural visit was LXV. We didn't get to meet these lovely people back then, but we remember it fondly. Um, and I'm, we'll get more into that later. But 2015, we did this educational tour through Verinder Studies. He was getting his winemaking certification at UC Davis. Uh, and it was supposed to be a hobby, by the way. <laughs> So. Well, if you're if you're ending up at Davis, that's more than a hobby, <laughs> <laughs> right? So we met amazing winemakers, eight different uh, winemakers, vineyard managers, tasting room managers, toured these places inside and out. Highly technical tour. One of the people that we visited on that t- uh, on that trip was Eric Jensen over at Booker, uh, who I, I know you know well. And we were, you know, we we were just taken by how simple at that time his winemaking facility was and the quality that he was putting out. So as Verinder mentioned, we were the oldest interns in Paso in 2016 when we came back. Essentially, 2015, we never... Uh, left Paso. We just kept coming back. How cool is that? And the property was found in 17 and, and just onwards from there. Was there a lot of commuting back and forth in the meantime? We did from Loda. You know, so we are from Midwest, uh, you know, Indianapolis. And uh, since having a place in Loda, we were coming there every month. And every month we will come there and then drive to Paso. <laughs> Um, just to meet people, uh, you know, we, you know, during the har- uh, we met during 2016 harvest, and also look, you know, we were looking for the property. We were looking for the right property uh, in Willow Creek, and finally we found that in 2017. Yeah, and I know no stranger to uh, commuting, Kunal. I mean, this was a mainstay and a benchmark in the way that you guys started LXV, right? Absolutely. Um, we started a couple of years before when Anita uh, got lucky in finding a property on Willow Creek again. Um, you celebrated your 12th anniversary. Congrats. Yes, our 12th anniversary this year. Um, one day at a time, as Anita likes to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we, we ended up uh, finding a, a small 14-acre plot on, on Willow Creek, actually on Willow Creek Road. In the, I'm sure you've heard the story of how we... Uh, we stumbled upon that property and the mentors we've had, especially Ron Denner, was instrumental in us actually waiting out and uh, waiting for that property and, and, and coming on the How market. did that property kind of come up? Um, so we had actually had an offer on a property on the east side. Uh, we were not really thinking about wine as kind of dabbling in it, but weren't really, really serious about it. Uh, we made an offer on a property on the east side and uh, Nita happened to call Ron and said, Ron, we're looking at moving up here. He's like, no, 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 no. You've got to back out of the offer and wait for something on Willow Creek. Um, if you're not in a rush. And we weren't in any rush, obviously. Uh, and the property came up and we jumped on it and got it. And uh, 
and 12 years later we're making wine and we plan actually going to be making wine from fruit off that property for the first time this year. What's cool, yeah, so you've had the property for a while and just planted it a couple of years ago. And now this harvest, 2022, you're going to be bringing in your own grapes from that property. That's going to feel really good. That's going to feel like a whole full circle moment, huh? It does. It's surreal. It's in the, in the vineyard is called Arman, which is actually dream or desire. So it actually comes full circle. It is. It, it has been our dream for 12 years. Uh, Nita, talk about the vineyard for a second because it's so pretty. We just did a dinner out there recently and uh, it's a really, really beautiful spot. Um, yes, it's, I like to call it, I, I like to say it's in the center of the Holy um, Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> which is Denner, Lenny Colodo, and Saxon. So we're right in the heart of it. Um, it's a beautiful piece of uh, property in so many ways. The aspect, there's this beautiful steep aspect where we have Syrah. There are these a little bit gentle rolling hill um, with some Lenny Colodo soil. So we have uh, Bordeaux there. We have Cap Franc and LXV essentially is a Bordeaux house. Um, and then Sangiovese is my muse. I mean, Adam, you can, we can talk about this all day I know long you about love Sangiovese. Your um, so we have Sangiovese planted as well. Um, and the idea, uh, it's actually farmed by G2, Bill Gibbs. And the idea is to make a wine that's stupidly true to the terroir. It's yeah. going to be very geeky. It's going to be a very nerdy wine. And the idea is, let's pay homage to a Bordeaux expression of Willow Creek. There's beautiful wine, Rhone wines that are coming out of Willow Creek. Well, a lot of people must have thought you were crazy to plant anything but Rhones in there. I mean, you talk about that Holy Trinity. Those are all mainly Rhone producers. One of the Holy Trinity, uh, a.k.a. Ron Denner, actually called me and, I, and he kind of blasted me for planting all Bordeaux on the property. It's funny because you trusted him before when he said, hold off on that other buy, but you were really following your heart when no, it came but to that is why, No, but you always listen to your mentor. He's the reason why we have Syrah on the property. Oh, got it. I'm not kidding you. He literally... Is it you better? No, he called me. <laughs> and Ron Dunnard usually doesn't call unless he wants to tell you something. He called me. He made me plant Syrah. And it makes sense now because it's all limestone. And there's something about limestone. Syrah sinks in limestone. So it made sense. And it's Willow Creek. And we love Syrah. It's just we are drawn a lot to Bordeaux. So to me, this brand, Arman, is going to be true to Willow Creek, to our estate, be it Bordeaux, be it Syrah, be it Sangiovese. What was it about Bordeaux wines that really drew you in and said, I really want it? You, you, <laughs> that smile, Kunal. <laughs> he loves Cab Franc more than anything. You just love Cab Franc. Were, were, were these old Cab Francs you were drinking back in the day? Was it was it trips to Bordeaux? What was it? Uh, it was certainly uh, multiple trips to Bordeaux that uh, got us to uh, start loving that style of wine, the older, uh, the old world style, much more true the terroir type type style of winemaking, a little bit more restrained, a little bit more earthy, um, and 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 Cap Franc. I mean, uh, you know, so as we traveled through Bordeaux, Margot, the village of Margot became. Um, uh, became Nita's muse, uh, apart from uh, apart from uh, uh, you know uh, Sangiovese uh, fascination, and then for me, just I can't say I've had Chavo Blanc, but Pavi and a couple other producers on the on in Saint Amiens just hit my heart. 
Yeah. Centimillion, what a beautiful place, huh? Oh, gorgeous. Yeah, the Cork Dorks did a show out there. I remember that was the first time where we took, we took this little chauncey little, like, touristy train through the vineyards. Did you do the same little train? We actually didn't do the train. We weren't even going to, and then all of a sudden we had a little extra time, so we did it. And the views that just, I saw on this little train ride, and we, like, snuck a bottle of wine, we were drinking a bottle out of the bottle in the back, and, like, the, the views were so pretty. Like, Kunal, I was literally becoming emotionally moved. Like, I was tearing up just how beautiful these hillsides against these chateaus, against that sky was like just i mean i've been blessed enough to go to rhone and bordeaux but i mean and i love them both but bordeaux was just like that only happened there you know yeah and i i was, I was hoping that the uh seasons still say differently so we can actually do a harvest there but now it seems like harvest is going to overlap so we're struggling to so we're struggling to do uh see if we can do a harvest in bordeaux at least one of us will do one this year yeah because i've talked to some folks in fact i think of nita uh my friend sharon harris she has a napa brand called rare cat Oh my God, I just spoke with her. Shut up, really? I'm not kidding you. So she has a home in Saint-Emilion. Yeah. She has a chateau Uh and she has rare cat wines and that is... Such a small Yeah, she's a good friend of mine. She's so sweet. When oh, I go up to Napa, I stay talk. with her. Yeah, she's so awesome. And then she started, I mean, just one of these women, you're like, how do you fit this much? Like, you're making wine here, there. And then she just put together a champagne that she's doing in champagne. Like, it's pretty cool. And she goes around touring uh, and, 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 like, empowering women with, with, with speeches and stuff. Like, she's really one of a kind guy. fact... Her property is one of the properties we were looking at. Really? That's how I met Sharon. Oh my God, no yes, way. Yes, yes. What a trip. Oh, we should talk about this. Yeah, yeah, yes. for sure. Well, um, let's talk about your story, Nita. How did you guys find Paso? I know at some point Kunal, um, he is in tech and he's worked in tech up here. He's worked in tech down there. You were doing a big like security tech thing for like Sony or something. Is that right? And then you're, you're literally driving up here every, what, maybe every weekend. Yeah. Um, so or I, flying in some, some cases. So, th- so that's how we discovered Paso. It was Gary Eberling it? <laughs> He's the one that first made that cool. I know. Uh, you know him and I have had, uh, I've, had I've, I've talked flying a, a few times, and actually, a bunch of the couple of the winery owners here were yeah. pilots. So we we had uh, Trevi, uh, Matt Travison, Matt Travison, um, Sam Sam from Cipher. Yeah. Um, Hal from Volatas. I mean, he, How? He's, oh, he's like a fighter uh, pilot. He, uh, he's a fighter pilot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all hobby pilots. Right. <laughs> uh, no, so we were uh, we were flying. Uh, we, actually, we were going to Oceano. From, we, we had not even heard, really heard about Paso this time. So it's got eight, 20 years ago. Uh, we were flying to Oceano to have lunch. And at that time, I, I didn't have the, the license you need to fly through clouds. So long story short, I got diverted to Paso Robles. We land there, and the airport... That's uh, a different license? Uh, it's, a, it's a second license. Which, wow. Uh, it takes a little bit more training. Sure. Um, so anyway, uh, we landed at uh, Paso Robles, and at that time, they were giving a free enter- uh, enterprise car rental for the day. So you got into the car and looking for a place to have lunch, end up at Cass Winery, and Nita has a glass of wine. I'm like, Shoot. I can't have a glass of wine. I got to fly. Yeah. So uh, we, a dog sitter decides to keep our dogs for overnight. So I have a glass of wine, and we start f- finding a place to stay. And twenty years ago, you could find a place to stay. Now, on a Saturday, I doubt you can f- get in last yeah. anywhere. But wow, what a story! So you're at Cass, just hanging out, just hanging out, which is you know a destination. I mean, it's it's out there. And, and once you meet that Clemens, oh my gosh, yeah. it's on. <laughs> and if anybody. Can- if anybody could sell you, not just on the idea of loving wine, but you need to start a winery, you know, it's so cool. Yeah, and he's like, I'm going to build it for you, and he's, he's still might build it for us at some point, we'll see. And Nita, who was more into this? Uh, was this a, a you thing that you drug Kunal into this, or was, you, was it both mutually, like, let's dive into this together, or was it, who, who was the one really kind of magnetizing towards this? 
Honestly, as we are sitting and talking about this, all I can think is that I'm sure we had moments of planning something, but everything was so much about serendipity. Just meeting the right people, meeting the castles, meeting Ron Denner. Um, you know, now you're talking about um, Sharon in Santa Million, and I feel like our story is not so much carved by the idea of we want to make wine as we want to be a part of this community. And I think that had a huge part to play where we said, oh, we love Paso. I always say this, it reminds me of India. I cannot explain it. There is an intimacy in the ecosystem here. There's intimacy between people. There's intimacy between people and the earth. There's that fabric that we felt in India. Um, so we wanted to be a part of this. We wanted to be a part of the Paso community. And that's how the Willow Creek property happened through Rondana. And then... I think making wine was almost something that came along with that dream of being a part of the Paso community. That's so. That's super special. Uh, Varinder, did you do you notice any pieces of of that culture with this culture? Absolutely, absolutely. We uh, the intimacy as uh, such a small town where everybody knows everybody's business, and uh, it's it's uh, it's so much positively um, charged environment we always uh yeah we kind of we consider it a family tree yeah. very much and we had that same very same thought when we first came to paso i call it our lightning strike moment it was just one of those you know like whoa what is this place uh, it's uh it's like feeling like you're home before you even step foot anywhere yeah uh and and everybody um embraces you i mean truly it's not just lip service you we have had so many people who have helped us get where we are and we still have people that are helping us along the way if we didn't you know meet uh, if we didn't meet eric jensen on that first trip in 2015 if he didn't connect us with pete tyrone who's now the head winemaker at booker and yeah, pete's great and he consults us on blending and, and barrel selection and if we didn't uh meet him we would have never connected with anthony and made our mm. wine at dinner and ron so we have that in common too dinner has played a big part in our history that's so interesting yeah. yeah and also you know just being in in terms here in 2016, we could see how uh, the winemaking community, how collaborative it was. Uh, having my experience back in Lodi or, you know, trying to get in Napa, you could see it's totally different here. Yeah. I- here is a rising tides, rise, raise all yeah. the a kind of mentality here, sort of really made us think like this is where we should be yeah like maybe when you were in Lodi Napa looked like it was the pinnacle of what your dream seemed to be defined as at that point but then when you meet Paso and see Paso the people it kind of like that Rubik's Cube gets like you know get a different view at it and it's like no I think this is where I need to be exactly and I I told Anita I said man I shouldn't have done you know done the vineyard in Lodi and I said you're right (laughs) (laughs) do you still have it now or what nope <laughs> so um, we just, uh, it was, uh, uh, as Nita said, um, the community aspect of winemaking as a winemaking community and all kind of winemakers. People, here are superstar winemakers here. And I am very proud to say that, you know, you can call any one of them and they will pick up your call, answer it. Like, you know, Stefan Asseo to Eric Jensen to, you know, Justin Smith. These people are real. And these people we looked up to before we came here, and sure. now we're part of that community, and they were they are always there 
to help us. More than the Paso community, both your brands are part of the downtown community. Uh, Anita, what do you like about being downtown and what have you noticed in the small time, you know, matter of years that you've been here? I mean, Paso changes year after year and we haven't been here as long as Nita and Kunal have, so I'm sure they'll have even more of a historical perspective on it. But what I love about downtown is that we are are literally, we're one of two things. We're either the first place that people come when they come to town. They're here uh, as new visitors to Paso or they've been here before and they're like, either they're saying, you're at the beginning of our trip and this is the first wine we've tasted and if this is how it's going to go, then we're really, really happy. And that is, that's just, that means everything to us. Or secondly, we're sort of the place that they come right before dinner or maybe at the end of their trip. And I love the energy that we have, not only as fellow wineries downtown, but as fellow businesses downtown. This is really an encapsulation, the downtown neighborhood of Paso, of, of what Paso is really all about. We all cooperate, the hotels, the, the restaurants, the bars now, um, and, and, the winer, and the fellow wineries. And we all work together to say, look, we've got to show these people what we're all about in this tiny little microcosm, which is not so tiny anymore. We have hmm. how many wineries? down here now 30 plus gosh 30 plus I, I, the difference I have seen in the last five years at least is that um, it was a downtown used to be afterthought for the visitors but now they are sort of keeping a day reserved where they can go to three or four different wineries right. within downtown uh-huh. because it has become a destination. Yeah. They can, you know, they can start 11 o'clock, have tasting, go to lunch, come back, do another tasting, go for dinner. So this is becoming uh, a destination. Where and we I are mean, I don't know any other place where you can do this, but walk one or two blocks apart and taste Bordeaux blends, Spanish varietals and Rhone varietals, somebody that focuses on white, somebody that has sparkling. I mean, this is this can all be achieved in an afternoon in downtown Paso. You know, Nita, you guys were pouring wine downtown before it was even cool. You guys have been here for a long time. I think of the first Cork Dorks episode I did. This was before there was a downtown, you know, association of wineries and stuff. Um, how have you noticed this area just transform, especially, I mean, not even just as downtown Paso commerce, cuisine, but um, specifically as a winery? Respect. The respect is a lot more. Um, I think when we started in downtown, it was it was one of the things that you did in downtown because you had to. But now it's become a choice. Think about these wineries like Justin, like Cereal. They have their own brand somewhere else, but they're choosing to be in downtown with their second brands. I know there are two couple of other big brands that are coming into downtown Paso, and that's beautiful because I think that whole kind of... Um, the, echoing the same sentiment of community. There is something about, and Anita said it beautifully, there's something about downtown that says community. It is the spirit of Paso. Um, when somebody parks their car in downtown and comes into one, one of our tasting rooms, um, it's almost like they have not come to LXV. They have come to downtown. That feeling is different. So if they have come to downtown... They might as be, well be at Copia, LXV, Justin. We just make sure that we understand why they are here and we direct them accordingly. There have been times when they are here for, to say, oh, we are, we are fanatic about drones. I'm like, that's great. We have a capsara, but Kopi across the street does fantastic drones. So you ha- when you have that kind of 
camaraderie and the downtown association is building that camaraderie, then somebody has not only um, an experience of good wines, all 11 appellations, by the way, represented in downtown Paso, oh, is that right? which cool. is a big deal, but also that feeling, this is Paso. It also helps that we are just off the 101, so it's a strategic meeting point for many people. So a lot of people from LA and San Francisco kind of think about downtown as a meeting place, so that's a great the do. fair's just getting going. Are you going to be... Is it, do, you, do you notice a difference? I don't know, but I have to say I'm, I'm going to the Santana. Nice. Um, so are concert. we. So are oh, we. This is going to be fantastic. So that's my f- going to be our taste for the fair after a really long time. <laughs> uh, but what does the fair do for downtown? It's interesting. It's, it's ebb and flow. Sure. Um, and we enjoy that. Uh, we know that it's not about those seven days that the fair... Seven days? 10 days? 12. 12 days? 12 days. 12 days that the fair is in well, town? That's, that's, that used to be the time a while back when Paso would see its big influx. Like when I first moved here, I was mentioning to Verinder uh, before we jumped on, in about 03, I mean, I lived on 8th and Oak, and I'd still have people who want to park in my driveway for them. I mean, the fair was when Paso blew up. Well, Paso's blowing up every weekend now. Yeah, you know, Paso's true. blowing up every weekend. So it's like, it's definitely different, but I was wondering how it, uh, it kind of um, affected. It has been very interesting on the fair. Uh, first few years we were open here, the, we kind of slowed down. I mean, everyone was yeah. at the fair. Sure. But I guess now, uh, overall, uh, Pass is attracting a lot of people that even though they are coming here for the fair, they do want to go wine tasting. Yeah, maybe they stay a night or something. Stay a night, stay a night extra. So we are now seeing, in general, all the wine also becoming a tad bit busier, the fair week versus being a tad bit slower, maybe seven years ago. Oh, fair is some good people watching, Hanita. Huh, Anita, you and I would just love to do some people watching Let's at the fair. Do a show. We've talked about this. We, did, we would. We have to do a show. Yeah, we just like talk about their fashion, like they're on the red carpet, but it's like the... the, the That's the, brilliant. the midway. The funny thing is they won't even know they are on the red carpet. No, right. Doing a commentary. Right. An Indian woman's perspective on boots. Cowboys. On the culture, on the fair culture. Boots and the food. Oh my God, that'd be so good. That's a a whole nother award-winning podcast. (laughs) I love it. Uh, Let's talk about the wine that we just did. Uh, Was the Pursuit the first one? We actually started with our uh, Copia Vineyards Cure, which is kind of our ode to a Chateauneuf-du-Pop-style wine, a Southern Rhone blend. This one is slightly heavier in Syrah, so 45% Syrah, 29% Grenache, and 26% Mourvedre. Really good one. I really enjoyed this. What's the story behind it? Like, was this something before it got before you acquired the brand? Was this something you wanted to put together? How'd it go? Both, both. So, copia is first of all the meaning of copia. It means abundance. So, Nita said like cornucopia, like cornucopia. Exactly. It has a lot to do with harvest. Yeah. Um, But Nita said something that was quite appropriate. The word serendipity. Mm -hmm. Um, It has a lot to do, certainly, with their story. I mean, they literally landed in Paso <laughs> without planning on it. Uh, and the same for us. I mean, we really just thought we were coming to Paso for an educational tour. It was a hobby of Verinder's. My background was mostly in restaurants. So I, my wine education came through working with beautiful restaurants in Chicago and New York City at, at the Michelin level even, which is where my real wine education started. But I certainly had no notions of making wine. Um, but once that trip had begun, once we met these winemakers, who I would definitely term as mavericks, 
for sure. I was just like, oh, somehow these are my people. I've never met people like this, but somehow they're my people. So copia meaning abundance and having that feeling of fullness and, and coming home, it was very appropriate. The Cure was a name that the former um, former owner of the property where we now farm, uh, ha- he, he named a wine The Cure. It was uh, lavender fruit that he had mm-hmm. sourced. And we just thought that it was also it was also a Rhone blend, and we thought that that name really was appropriate for putting these varietals together because the the art of blending, particularly Southern Rhone blends, is what one varietal has the other lacks, and vice versa. And the idea of putting these blends together is it's really to create balance and, and beauty. Some in, of the varietals in the combination more yeah. than um, this, every single varietal there is. Like this yeah, cohesion, so, yeah. So it's literally the cure for anything. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, and that's available. Is this like a, a wine that folks can come and taste? It is. It is our current release. Um, cool. at, it's at the tasting room downtown, and uh, you can buy it online as well. It's it's really emblematic of what we do at Copia. We also have a little bit of Bordeaux as well planted on our property, and we make a little bit. But Rhone's is where we where our heart really lies. Twenty nineteen. What a fun year, huh? Everyone it seems was. to love it. It's, it is a phenomenal. It year. was a amazing vintage for us and we also since we planted most of our vineyard in 2018 and 19 so these years we were buying fruit and we bought a lot of uh, 50% of the fruit we bought was from either Willow Creek or Adelaida in Paso Robles but we also explored south so we went to Santa Barbara fun yeah we went to uh, Peacrant John Sebastiano Kimsey Bionicido Slide Hill yeah so some amazing vineyards and 2019 we did a how many different Syrahs? Eight. Eight different Syrahs. <laughs> so you're doing cool temperature Syrahs. Exactly. Warm temperature Syrahs. So what you had last was the Pursuit, which mm-hmm. was a uh, single vineyard. We did a series of three different vineyards. Uh, um, we call it Pursuit because it's the pursuit of making the best possible Syrah we could. Uh, and this one is from... Uh, Bionicido Oh no this one's John Sebastian Oh this is John Sebastian That's Santa Rita Hills Yeah Yeah. Santa Rita Hills So we did three different single vineyard uh, designates uh, Bionicido being one John Sebastian being one Second And Slide Hill was the third one he, we debated before coming here, which one do we open? Which one do we open? The reason I opened John Sebastiano is because it's the closest to being ready, but they're all so new and they're, yeah. all, they're all so powerfully um, varietal. Yeah. So this one, I feel you get 100% Syrah, you get a lot of that gamey nuance, a lot of the smokiness, the pepper that you can get from a cool climate Syrah. It's just everything that we love about I just cool love climate. having Paso winemakers. You know, I mean, this is a Paso wine podcast but yeah. when Paso winemakers play with fruit from outside of Paso I happen to root, my ears turn up and it's like well let me you know I want to know what's more what, what's more about this and that's part I love of the it. Paso spirit right so, we totally. just have no rules here yeah exactly. it's so cool and of course you talk about Santa Rita Hills and you talk about John Sebastiano in, you know even in Star Rita it's just like it's a, this is a beautiful wine how fun to, to have you. this thank yeah. you well I mean you talk about uh, Paso wine region you know, using fr- uh, as Paso winemakers are using fruit from uh, down south or other places. Napa has been buying Paso fruit for how many decades? Right. Yeah. yeah. Zin Cab. Right. Yeah. How much of Napa Cab has as as Paso Cab in it? So yeah. So is, true. Right. So this is it's about the right climate, the right terroir, as people talk about. Right? When you guys finally made the move, because you were commuting for a long time, did you? I mean, when did you make the move? You're like, okay, we're done commuting. This is my last time going down there. 
so Nita made it a few years before I did. Uh, you know, she was also uh, in the mo- in the movie industry. She was working on on a, on a screenplay. So she's like, "Why do I have to go, come back to LA? You go work. I'll stay in the house here and work on my screenplay." And she loved it here. My dogs loved it here. So they stayed up, and I started commuting. And then she start, then we started the winery, and they became more work. How much here. of it would you drive? How much of it would you fly? Fifty fifty. Yeah. And I even did the train. Oh, really? Yeah. How could you do the train after flying? No, uh, on a on a day I didn't. Uh, well, the reason I did the train is I could actually work. Oh, I see. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So if it's I, just like it's like a seven hour trip based on like forty five minutes, right? Well, let me tell you the true story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is a rule of bottle to throttle. Yeah. <laughs> I leave it at that. <laughs> I know the train was beautiful. I could uh, I could uh, indulge in some wine for two hours. I could work for two hours, and I could sleep for two hours. Perfect. <laughs> uh, you know what? The, the train um, south from say like Pismo Beach. All the way to where does it turn in? Probably Ventura, right? Yeah, uh, Ventura Vine Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. It's all this like pristine coastline. If you got time to chill and you know you can get in the car and relax, I think doing the what is it, the Starliner or is it the other one? The Star Coast, uh, um, the, and Surfliner, Pacific Surfliner, and and the Star Coast. Right, right, right. And, and it is, you're right. And I would time it where there was good reception where I could work, and otherwise I would yeah have a, have a drink in the cafe. yeah. I love it. That's so cool. Um, talk about what you noticed in just the differences and the evolution of downtown Kunal from the things that you're into, whether it's cuisine or uh, things like that? Well, talking about cuisine, we've, in my opinion, my humble opinion, we have our first legit steakhouse, Ernest Hemingway. Who is this? Oh, really? I'm going to be going there for the first time and uh, coming next week. To me, it's our first legit steakhouse. In yeah, that's heavy uh, words. That's great. Look yeah. at you. Nice. And, and again, you know, talking about camaraderie, talking about serendipity, every time you walk into Ernest Hemingway, I think we've been there twice or thrice now. Once they were there, Mira Hanikar, I mean, you walk in there and you know. You mean all the Indians in Paso were there? <laughs> all the Indians in Paso were there. Uh, you guys have a little click, Did huh? not plan it. It uh, just happened. So that means, so, that, so there's Kinal Anita, there's uh, Anita, are you? Indian too? I am. And then there's Verinder. Then there's Ishka. Ishka and Marini. Right, and Marini. And then there's there's another gentleman who I know. And you, here's the thing about your culture, which I would love for you to enlighten me on. Why do you guys all look so good? Very- we could tell you that, but we'd have to kill you. <laughs> but it's, it's, um, it's just style and presentation. It's articulation and spoken word. There are a lot of pieces of just the Indian culture that it's, uh, it's very impressive. It's pretty cool. First of all, uh, I think a lot of people uh, think that if I'm in India, English might not be a first language. Mm. For most of us, English has been is, uh, is our first language. So we uh, we might speak a little bit of British English or a little bit of a, with an accent, but we have learned English literally from kindergarten. Yeah, just like everyone in, in America. That's so interesting. So you learn it in school. Yeah. yeah. Was any uh, anyone in this room born in India? Yes. Well, the three of them, the th- I'm the outlier. <laughs> you were born in back east? I was born in Chicago. In Chicago. Cool. Wow. So much cool history. And then who was the other gentleman that I, he's always at all the wine events and he almost, he looks a little bit like Verinder, but he's tall. Harry? Harry. Harry. That's right. Because <laughs> I've met him before. Terry. Yeah, that's Harry. A uh, good friend of all of ours. Trouble. Party guy. <laughs> uh, great businessman. If you ever, if, uh, very, very giving, and if you ever need business advice, he's the right person to go to. Yeah. Owns a bunch of car dealerships here. 
Um, On my morning show, I was interviewing a lady today named uh, Tanvi Gupta. She's the CEO of SwoonMe. It's a new dating app. And the idea behind this dating app that is supposed to set itself apart from, say, the traditional ones you've probably heard of is that it's um, it uses your voice. So you meet with somebody just by talking to them first. Oh. And it's kind of like love at first sound. And, you know, really kind of like meeting someone through their personality as opposed to just looking at a picture and swiping one direction or, you know, it's uh, really trying to find a connection rather than just like, say, a hookup or something. But anyways, uh, she's uh, a woman of Indian descent too that I was talking to. And she's been trying to make her way down here. And I was telling her that I was coming here and talking to you guys. She's like, oh my God, I got to try these wines. And so she was really <laughs> stoked. She was really stoked to, to uh, learn about you guys. And that's a very unique idea. I mean, I'm a, yeah, no, I know. I'm a tech person, so, and that seems very, very fun and unique. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know more about it when we get out of here. So, what was the next wine that we just got poured, Nita? So, I know this is Kunal's wine, but may I describe it, Kunal? Thank you. So, this so is- if you know Nita and Kunal, Nita loves the Sangiovese. And Margot. And Mar- yes, and Margot, of course. Right. And then Kunal loves the Cab Franc. So, that was very polite that you asked, that you showed deference and said, may I talk about the Cab Franc, sweetheart? But she was like, thank you, I'm going to do it anyway. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. It's, I love Nita. It's the... Um, the the Indian proprietary yeah. <laughs> um, language that you were talking about. Uh, so I, I love to say this: Poyak has my respect, but Margot has my heart. It's a big pay into Margot right now. But this wine, so this is our hundred percent Cabernet Franc. Um, this comes from a vineyard called Portico Hills, San Ynez, um AVA. Again, kind of uh, resounding on everything that we talked about so far cooler climate um, so you really if you, if you dig your nose into it you really get those beautiful that beautiful herbaceousness a hint of that pyrazine which to me if it's a Bordeaux it should have a whiff of that um, it's it's very sexy to have that green note into in your yeah, explain what that is for someone front. who doesn't understand some people call it like almost like a like a pepper kind it's of a, it's a green bell pepper whiff so, so any wine that comes out of Bordeaux and I mean like the Bordeaux region of France um, because it's cooler climate um, the, the grapes get a chance to hang long enough to develop those beautiful flavors and acidity and still retain that pepperiness to it um, in California because we have warm climate you have to kind of seek those towers where they are able to do that and Portico Hills is one of those venues it's an interesting dynamic of wine because it's something that folks can seem to feel like at times there could be too much of it. So it is something that you want to dial in, right? It needs to have a just so, right? Yes. Uh, it also depends on who, why are you? To me, wine is as much about the context as it is about the content. One of the best ways to understand wine is to understand the intent behind the wine. The intent at LXV for all wines is to stay true to the terroir. We do zero distribution, and I mean it. We do zero distribution. It's 100% direct to customer, D2C, for that reason. We stay very, very true to the terroir. And so if the fruit that comes from Portico Hills, this is a 2020 much cooler vintage, if it has a little bit more of that Cabernet Franc expression, so be it. For us, that's very important maintaining the the expression of the terroir and maintaining that or rather capturing that essence of the vintage is very very important and being so small and being direct to consumer 
our, our club members actually look forward to it. They don't want to have the same expression as last year. They want to see uh, what does this vintage say to us. So it's not so much for us about dialing up or dialing down. It's about are we doing everything in our power to straight, stay true to it. Having said that, we do use a very specific oak for it. Um, this, is, this oak comes from a region called Batranche in France, tight grained oak, French oak, which is very important because it adjuncts, adjuncts that, um, that pepperiness a little bit. So just dials it down just a little bit. But the intent is not to take it away. The intent is to just make it more approachable. Yeah, that's a beautiful wine. I like that. Cab Franc. Is this one that is, uh, Kunal, you find there's some education that needs to go down with it. Everyone's so familiar with Cab Sauv. Uh, How do people walk into Cab Franc and um, how do you warm people up to it? So, uh, you know, the two issues with Cab Franc in in the United States. One is... uh, it's mostly used as a blending grape. It's not heavily planted. It's mostly used for blending. And second is to the points, Anita, and you were talking about, a lot of Caprons have too much of that Paris green bell pepper flavor that makes it almost feel flabby. So if made well, and you can adjunct that, get the right level of, of that pepperiness, but you can get that fruit out of the Cap Franc, you can get that mint and herbaceous notes out of the Cap Franc, it's a beautiful wine. So there are a few wineries that uh, do 100% Cap Franc in Paso Robles. Uh, and actually, literally just before this podcast, I'm working on trying to put, a, put together a Cap Franc Day for Paso Robles. On really? Yeah. Cap Franc Day? I love this. Why I'm, not? Right? I know. Well, we've seen it like with Albarino. We've right. seen people yeah. take a varietal and do some really special stuff and that's why it. I got the idea. I went, I, I gate crashed the uh, industry Albarino night, although we don't make an Albarino. Yeah. Um, and that was, that's why I got the idea to actually do this. So we're going to do a Cab Franc Day on December 4th. Let's talk about Cab Franc in the vineyard. How is it different than Cabernet Sauvignon? And I know this is one of those things where maybe even you and I were talking about this at your dinner, where it's really susceptible to shatter. And in those spring months when wind shoots through, but sometimes it can almost be a welcoming thing because it can kind of thin the herd a little bit, right? Yes. Uh, Cab Franc is a little bit like Pinot. It's a harder grape to grow than Cab So Cab Sauv is very, very hearty. It'll grow in a lot of places. Yes, it has some late, late ripening issues, but it can grow pretty much anywhere. And uh, Cap Franc, to me, very, very hard to grow. Not, you know, and you know, we were talking earlier, we planted Syrah on our hill. That's where I wanted the Cap Franc. That's actually the best part of our vineyard. And I lost it to Ron Denner. Uh, <laughs> we're okay with that. You know. <laughs> um, so we did plant a, c- a couple of clones from Loire Valley that are, uh, we believed, can can handle some of the uh, lower temperatures, a little bit of the frostish challenges in a in a little bit of a valley kind of area that we have planted it, and it's doing reasonably well, and we're quite excited about the fruit this year. Now, you guys did a white Sangiovese, which I had never tried before, and it was beautiful. Talk a little bit about that. I know it's probably, if not sold out, or it's going to be already, but I mean, it's tough to get, right? Um, it's going to be, it'll go direct to club. Oh, okay, and, got it. Yes, and uh, this is, um, Sangiovese is my muse. It's the reason why I got into the wine business. Um, you know, there's a one wine that shifts all of us, and for me, it was a Brunello from Montalcino that did that. So in pursuit of that, when we went to Tuscany, we were really looking for good Brunellos and had a blind tasting of 10 Brunellos, including one, the last vintage made by Biandi Santi. Uh, 2010 was the last vintage he made, and he passed away a few years after that. Um, 
And so that was in mo- a moment. And in that lineup, along with all the Brunellos, was a white Sangiovese by a house there called Capana. So we visited Capana and loved the white Sangiovese. It's, the beauty of it is you, you almost make it as if it were a white wine. So it, it captures the essence of the red wine with the expressiveness of a white wine. So the juice is white. Of yes, Sangio, but yes. of course it's a red grape. Because you press it off right away. Uh-huh. And so when you stick your nose in it, it has a lot of expressive notes. You get a lot of stone fruit, you get honeysuckle, uh, you get a lot of peach, pear. But when you take that first sip, it's cherries. It's a trip to have so a do you white go, Do you go direct to press or does it stay on skins at all, a little Not bit? Not at all. You Not just go all. direct to press. It still will pick up a little bit of hue. Yeah. So we made a pass through charcoal to get rid of the hue because yeah. we really, really wanted to make a true white wine. Right. But then we put it back into new French oak just to give it a little bit of that glean of just a little bit of... Um, yeah, because we don't want it to look like water. Water, <laughs> which, which I'll tell you, it's fairly transparent. Really? We, the dinner that we did, uh, we, we're doing a wine pairing dinner where this... If you can imagine the culinary potential of this wine, it has the bright acidity of a white wine and yet the 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 breadth and the spectrum of a Sangiovese. Uh, you just light up talking about and it. it, uh, <laughs> it so we're doing a five-course dinner with just one wine, and that's going to be the white Sangiovese wow. at the heart of it, which is going to be phenomenal. That's going but, to be cool. But, 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 you know, there are other other producers who do that, who do white versions of, of red, red grapes. grapes. And it sounds like something that is experimental, but it's fun to do it because it really captures the sense of the grape. You're not using, you know, there's hardly any oxidation. There's hardly any vinification. There's hardly any uh, oxidation. And so you're really, it's a very pure, pure form of, of the expression of the red grape. Yes, but Nita, are you going to let Kunal do a white top frog? Do you would know. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, she is. So, you, you knew you, right, right when that one became successful, you're like, oh, we're doing this. No, so this is the compromise. We, we, we've always done a Sangiovese rose. So, this year I was actually able to make a Cap Franc rose. And Nita got the white Sangiovese. So we'll do that for two or three years, and then I will make uh, a Cap Franc Blanc. Absolutely. With, with still the white Sangio. Yeah, we might keep that on the program. We, so we, we have, uh, again, we're a Bordeaux house. So we keep Sauv Blanc or Semillon as our main white wine on our program. And then we rotate. We've tried, we played with Shannon Blanc. We played with Arneas. Now with the white Sangiovese, uh, Cap Franc. Uh, it's weird, because, but can you afford, it's almost like a restaurant. Like if you're coming up here and you're going to, you know, LPC, uh, they may have a certain thing on there. Like I think of like Ember. And like you can't take the, you know, Albaloni pork belly off the menu because people are going to freak out. If you have like that white Sangio, or if you have a certain skew that people are just loving, you probably have to keep doing it don't you they are I mean, we have our standard skews we have four blends um we have our, our, our obviously at cap cap franc sangiovese as our reserve vines we do play with a few things we played with nebbiolo mm. uh you know for the, for the for the italian team nita loves the nebbiolo we have people coming in asking for that every day uh we'll play we played with arneas so, so the two italian grapes we played with uh semion we've done Fun. enjoyed making semion um so yeah, I mean, Cap Franc, uh, a white Cap Franc, it's certainly in the future. You know, it's certainly interesting, Nita, when you talk about like people who will go to like the a store to go for something on the shelf, maybe a name that they know, and they enjoy that, especially if it's like a, a wine that's done to scale, they enjoy that consistency. And the brand probably says, hey, like these, you know, like we just interviewed Steve Peck from JLor, like Seven Oaks needs to taste like Seven Oaks. You know, yes, Mother Nature will do what it's doing, but it's it's a vintage wine, but it still needs to taste like Seven Oaks. But it's 
cool to kind of curate this group of fans that love to taste whatever your interpretation was of that vintage year to year. Because, you know, when you make not a lot of wine, um, these are there's going to be some vintage variation, isn't there? Absolutely. But can I go back to just something that you said about uh, Steve Beck? And, sure. Um, I had um, a group of um, uh, people who came to taste wine loved, just, just before you arrived. Um, they are from New Jersey, joined the club, got their wine shipped, and they said, where would we go next? And I was just trying to understand where, you know, what kind of wines and he said, well, I like Bordeaux. And I said, you know, it's great to look for boutique wines like us. But when you go back to New Jersey, don't you want to take the memory of going to like a Jailor or going to a Justin where you've tasted these wines, which are really well-made Bordeaux. So well-made wines, be it Bordeaux or not. So I always like to recommend... Uh, wines that are in the market as much as I like to recommend boutique wines because these wines that are out in the market like the Jailors full respect to Steve Beck we actually spent 4th of July with him it was fun Um, they are the winemakers who put the name of Paso in all its splendor out there and then people come and saying what else is there in Paso but we have to give kudos to the Jailors of the world the uh, Justins of the world the Austin Hopes of the world absolutely to put good wine out there so now they're inroads into Paso and then they come seeking small brands like Copia small brands like us I love that that you said that that's such a great point Austin just texting me the hug emoji for you very good and so did Jerry Lore um, Anita let me ask you because you know both of you guys have downtown tasting rooms and you also both have your estate vineyards now I've been blessed enough to go to I think I did an Indian dinner with you guys years ago just recently did uh, the dinner celebrating your 12 year anniversary with LXV and I'm sitting among these vineyards in Willow Creek. Have you guys thought about, or is there ways to, you know, obviously we're doing this downtown, but to share that beautiful scenery, that beautiful earth with fans of yours? Oh, oh yeah. Yes. Uh, we, uh, similar to Nita and Kunal, we, we invite our club members and, and friends and family all the time to the estate vineyard. And that's really the center of, of what we're doing and who we are. So this year, will be only our second uh, harvest off of the estate vineyard. So it's about 50 acres um, on on the west side of Paso, not too far from here. It's off of Kyler Canyon Road. Sure. Um, beautiful, beautiful rolling yeah. hills. And uh, we started the process of minor juice permit right away when we bought the property, 2018. It took us three years to get a minor juice permit. Uh, we are in a in a neighborhood that is you know close to town and they, um, so it took three years to get the minor use permit. We've been in the construction permit uh, process for almost a year now, and I think we'll have the construction permits if not by end of this year, probably early next year. And we have a plan to build um, a winery as well as tasting room at the state property. Uh, it's been it's designed by Brian Cote, who's a architect for Apex, Saxon. Oh, I know. I'm very familiar. Yeah. So. Oh, so you guys are going big. <laughs> well, <laughs> not big, big, like big yeah. scale, big, but you guys are going like, you guys are going for yeah. some, we all you guys in, are going man. legit. We all in. You're all in. That's a great <laughs> way to put it. You're all we in. We are all in, just like Canal and Verinder's poker night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was in this room just a few nights ago. Yeah, we're talking about, I mean, God, I think of Epic, and that was like an architectural digest, like, 
yeah. number two winery. It's crazy. Yeah. But it it honestly it all starts with the vines, right? And yeah. that's the reason it needs why to. that's the reason why we bought that property was because of the soil, um, the hilltops, the the aspects that we have and what Verinder has designed along with the help of Coastal Vineyard Services is, is really like a veritable winemaker's dream. It's yeah. a little crazy um, and we're we're small lot winemakers and, and when he explains why, I mean, you'll, you'll see how crazy it is. Yeah, it's only 20 acres planted, but it's 24 different blocks. So no one, no, no two blocks are the same. So either it's a different rootstock, different varietal, different uh, a clone. And the idea is to, you know, as a winemaker, create that diversity, have the bigger spice box when you go. Because, you know, Paso, we're known for blending. And it's uh, amazing when you have the bigger spice box, you go and do the blending and, you know, bringing in our... Uh, so we have mainly our own home, our own house. Uh, we do uh, ganache. Uh, blend, do GSM, do uh, Syrah. But then we also have some um, uh, Bordeaux. We also planted this year uh, Tempranillo. Because we, yes. So we would like to, you know, you know, the, 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 I voted for Cab Franc, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love what you say about the spice box, and I imagine, because that seems like a very, like, atypical way to kind of go about it. But it's cool because if for something, you know, I was talking to, like, Joe Barton a few months ago, and, you know, he's been doing this for about 20 years, him, and he was, like, literally, you know, just like a 22 year old where things happen with his dad. All of a sudden, he's the winemaker now. And, um, but what you learn after so much time of having this in the ground, oh, maybe this is better here. I think this is better there. Maybe the way you have it laid out, if there are pieces that you want to kind of, you know, tweak and move that lens and shift it a little bit, you can do that with without a lot of, you know, interruption in the rest of what's going on. Exactly. So as a small uh, small lot winemakers, we don't make anything more than two to three tons. So it's very small tanks and you have the diversity. When you sit on the uh, planning table, you do have... Of course, you do have a lot more work because you have a lot more different lots. But the fun is, you know, uh, and I, I cook and, uh, as it, you know, when you have that diversity, then, you know, have a bigger spice box, it's much better, much easier to come up with the blends that you are trying to make. How do you and Anita talk about growth? Do you guys sit down and say, we'll kind of see how it organically feels, see what, you know, demand is? Obviously, we're coming out of a pandemic. Or is there like a set kind of, doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of set in any of these stories, which is so cool. Or is it just kind of like, see how see how growth takes us? So um, we, we, I'm so happy he said that. Yeah. That <laughs> it doesn't seem like there's any plan. No, no but, uh, the way we started, you know, we started with the 150 um, cases to 250, 450, 750, and now at 2,000. So the growth was not was also what we can handle mm. as winemakers. Yeah, you know you can't start with you know as if new winemakers with 5,000 cases. So we started small, uh, and as we learned about the winemaking, as our state is coming, and I think we are blessed that the demand of for our wines is growing, you know, at the same rate, and uh, you know, I don't want to say that we plan that way, but it's happening in a way that um, we are, you know, we're pouring 2019s and 21s uh, in our tasting room. So we are blessed that whatever we are making is selling. Yeah. That's a good place to be, right, Anita? It, uh, <laughs> I'd say. It's a relief. I, I think it's, <laughs> honestly, I think it's a combination of certainly preparation. You have to, you have to go into this 
as if it is a business because it is. Um, but ultimately, we all started in this room w- with a dream. Uh, and so you have to have the you have to have the passion. You have to have the work ethic. You have to have the preparation. But a lot of the times. Um, you also have to go with the flow. This business isn't one where you can predict everything because you never will. You never will. Similar to farming, similar to each harvest, whatever plan you laid out, that's real cute, but it's not all going to go to plan. Um, and certainly everybody learned that in 2020. If we plan to uh, come true, we would have been already had the state winery and tissue, which didn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> so. Which didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, but you have you have to go with the flow and you have to constantly adapt. But you also have to stay true to who you are. And I think for Copia, what we are is a combination of passion, also of science, because Verinder's uh, winemaking approach is, is very much, um, it, it's very much heartfelt, but it's also based in science. Uh, and then also hospitality, which is my background. All of that together makes, makes us who we are. And no part is less important than the other. We focus on all of those things. And as long as I think the two of us get to have everything or most everything run through our hands, we feel good about it. Yeah. So I don't think well Copia will ever grow to a point where, you know, we're we don't feel like we have a handle on that. So give me that moonshine, we'll get by. We pass on around till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Thanks so much to the four of them, Nita and Kunal, as well as Anita and Verinder. Make sure you taste, find these wines, meet these people. You will not regret it. And you won't have to wait two weeks for an episode. I mean, we are going to have a new episode in two weeks, but a bonus one next week, part two, where we get into a lot more, including playing the wine game, which is always fun. To check out LXV, visit LXVWine.com. The letter is LXV. LXVWine.com. And for more on Copia Vineyards, C-O-P-I-A, CopiaVineyards.com. Can't wait for part two. I am so excited to share it with you. Again, broadcasting live every day, every afternoon at the California Mid-State Fair. Come by and say hi. I'm in Mission Square, and I would love to meet you. Where Wine Takes You is executive produced by Joel Peterson and Paso Wine. Associate producer is Jen Bravo. The podcast is recorded, edited, and produced by yours truly. Original music on Where Wine Takes You performed by Moonshiner Collective. The song is called Good Company. It's available and their music is available wherever you get your music, Spotify, wherever. And you can also log on and learn more, moonshinercollective.com. Equipment transportation and technical consideration provided by Fly With Wine. For more, check out flywithwine.com. I just got my new case. It is so beautiful. I'm going to post a picture of it. This thing is legit. I'm using it for my equipment, for wine at the fair. I love it. You can find me on Insta. I always got pictures of what's going on with the podcast at Adam on the Air. And make sure you follow Paso Wine at Paso Wine. And make sure you visit PasoWine.com for any and all things Paso related before your next trip. PasoWine.com. It's essential. The next time you are cruising around on the Central Coast, maybe you're coming up to the California Mid-State Fair, you can tune me in on your radio. My morning show, Up and Adam in the Morning, heard weekday morning 6 to 10 on Wine Country Radio right here at the Crush 92.5. Website, crush925.com. We stream to everywhere on earth, and we've got a free app in your smartphone. Crush with a K, Crush 925. 
Thank you so much for connecting with us once again. I love that you're here. My name is Adam Montiel. Until part two, until we meet, until next time, lift that glass up high. It's probably hot where you live. It's hot everywhere right now. So here's the keeping cool, sharing some new summer experiences and always enjoying where wine takes you. And give me that passion, get bowing, pass on down till the job is Get out in the trees, it will simplify and work on. Give me that moonshine, get bowing, pass on down till the job is Get out in the trees, it will simplify and work on. Give me that moonshine, get bowing, pass on down till the job is in the trees, we will simplify in good company. With that moonshine, we'll get by. We pass all around till the job is dry. Camped out in the trees, we will simplify in good company.